It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. After the podcast, check out our other episodes, all our Bible study resources, videos, download the CQ app, and more at ChristianQuestions.com. Today's topic is, how do we best support our kids through their hardest times? Coming up in this episode, at one point or another, every parent faces the challenge of things going wrong while raising their children. In our world, the kind of things that can go wrong are big, ugly, and debilitating. What are we supposed to do when this happens? Do we cower and question, or do we stand and fight? Now, here's Rick and Jonathan. Welcome, everyone. I'm Rick. I'm joined by Jonathan, my co-host, for over 20 years. It's great to share God's Word with you and our listeners. Jonathan, what is our theme scripture for today's episode? Isaiah 50, verse 7. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Parenting is a difficult and often unpredictable task. In our last episode, we laid a scripturally principled foundation for managing our parental what-ifs and our parenting imperfections. We also address the ever-present challenge of growing confidence and competence in our children as we slowly release our parental control over them. With all of this in place, it's now time to delve into several of the hard and practical matters of bringing children up. The fact is, the structure of our present society extols a path and process of child-rearing that is often fundamentally opposed to true Christian beliefs. This leaves us with a lot of questions that may be hard to answer as we seek to apply principles of godliness. The good news is, no matter the question, there is always clear Bible-based instruction available. Rick, at the end of our last podcast, we talked about going through four very practical parenting questions for this episode. One, how do we teach our younger children to love God? Two, How do we keep our relationships with our kids throughout adulthood? Three, when bad things do happen to our kids, how do we cope? Four, how do we handle our rebellious adolescence? Well, let's begin with question one. How do we, in a very practical way, teach our younger children to love God? So it's really all about practicality. So we're going to use scriptural principles at every turn here. In the the, the next verses, we're going to be quoting. The Apostle Peter is telling us that our heavenly call and privilege are dependent upon how we live our lives as Christians. In principle, practically teaching our younger children at home should be based on the very same characteristics that the Apostle Peter is teaching us. And Jonathan, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 to 7. Now, for this very reason also, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. So we're looking at this scripture and saying, here is a basis for teaching our children to love God in a very practical sense. So let's take a look at this. It says, apply all, apply what? What are we supposed to apply? All diligence. Let's work at raising our children. Decide that high standards are the only standards. Psalm 101, verses 2 and 3. I will give heed to the blameless way. 
when you will come to me. I will walk within my house in the integrity of my heart. I will set no worthless thing before my eyes. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not fasten its grip on me. So the idea is giving diligence. And when we need to give diligence, and this isn't parenting, to give diligence means to put our effort into encouraging, encourage our children to be strong in what we are teaching them to stand for. Encourage them to have that strength that can stand up because the odds are very difficult against them. So we have apply all diligence, and it says in your faith, supply moral excellence. Let's shower our children with input and stimulation that teaches truth, honor, and purity using standards of godliness and not worldliness. Now let's read a condensed reading of Philippians 4, verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. See, this is giving us an example of this high and lofty moral excellence that we're supposed to be focusing on. So really, to supply moral excellence, what do we need to do? We need to be an example. Be an example and give examples of the high moral road that we are looking for uh, to walk and the victories that come with that high moral road. And this is hard in the world in which we live. But again, moral excellence, be an example. And the scripture goes on. In your moral excellence, now what? Knowledge. Let's teach our children God's word, law, and truth in a practical way so they can see how it applies to and enhances every aspect of life. Deuteronomy 6, 7 through 9. You shall teach them diligently to your sons, and you shall talk of them when you sit at your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. So the idea is give them the knowledge of the scriptures. But you know what? Knowledge can be really, really boring. I'm going to learn something. Or there can be excitement. We want to excite them with our own excitement about learning God's word and God's ways. Well, children respond to emotion, don't they? They do. So... Let's put that emotion forward and show them what loving God is. Show them by what we do. We asked one of our CQ team members, Melinda, who has five children between the ages of three through 13, how she teaches her children to love God. She answered, quote, to know God is to love him. It is not meaningful to a child to tell them to love God. They are told all day what to do and how to do it. Throughout their day, we rely uh, we, we relay Bible stories and praise God. We pray with them. Scriptures are placed around the house as touchstones. We play music that is Christ and God-centered. We try to live a life of gratitude and remember to thank God throughout the day. God will use our shortcomings and mistakes for his glory. Just keep trying to do the next right thing to bring glory and honor to God and Jesus, end quote. That's beautiful. It just gives a lot of practical little examples of, of making godliness a natural part of your everyday life. And that's, and that's teaching. That's knowledge. And, and, and look, kids do get excited when something is presented in a way that say, wow, isn't this something? So we've got this, you know, the moral excellence to knowledge. In your knowledge, what do we go to? Self-control. 
let's teach our children the hidden value of delayed gratification. Ooh, that's a big that's one. a concept, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. First <laughs> Corinthians nine twenty four and twenty five. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So the idea here is self-control, and, and you're right, this is, a, this is a tough thing. And self-control needs practice. So with self-control, we teach them to practice things, work on and reward self-controlled behavior. And Jonathan, just a quick little tidbit with our grandchildren. You know, little kids get very anxious and very and just want what they want right here, right now. And one of the things that we, we do in our house with the littlest ones, and it, it ends up being fun, is try to teach them patience. And the way we do it when they're complaining and whining about, I want, I want, I want, we say, okay, say it with me now and get all excited. I will be patient and it just and they start to laugh and then you do it again and then they start to say it and you pass the time and they learn to be patient you practice self-control with your kids so in oh, rick when we learn patience it takes away anxiety you know i know that and it's going to be the same for our kids yeah and when we teach our kids patience it'll take away our anxiety too so you see it works <laughs> it. works on all kinds of different levels so all right so we've got that so in our self-control it brings us to perseverance let's teach our children the hidden value of never giving up on those things that have lasting value 1 Corinthians 9, 26 and 27. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. So these last two scriptures were from 1 Corinthians 9 and they're talking about an athlete and the preparation and the execution that's based on that preparation. So this is so you've got the self-control and now we've got perseverance. And to teach a child perseverance, what do you need to do? You need to reinforce, reinforce that hard effort to, and by un- helping them understand that the hard effort is what brings the satisfaction and results. And sometimes those, those results are delayed but it's well worth it. Athletes understand they have to practice. They spend a ton more time on the practice field and in the weight room than they do in the actual competition. That's how you excel. So we teach our children perseverance and godliness by reinforcing things. So let's, let's build from there. The scripture continues. In your perseverance, it brings us to... Godliness, reverence towards God. Let's teach our children that a God-first approach to our everyday sets in us a positive attitude, which makes everything better. 1 Timothy 6, 6 and 7. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into the world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. So it's interesting that you go in this scripture, you go from perseverance to godliness. It's like perseverance is this all-out effort, all-out effort, and then godliness seems to be this peaceful way of being. And see, there's that's kind of the result that we want our children to learn. How do they learn? We teach them what godliness is, because folks, they're not going to learn godliness anyplace else but with you. This world doesn't know what it means. This world, as a matter of fact, hates what it means. So that's where we have to do the teaching. Teach, reteach, and repeat how to honor God first. Lead your children by your example.
Rick, our compass should point daily towards north where God dwells. Keep refocusing. Most kids leave their compass at home, but not all. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and, and that's why this teaching is so important. So what we're saying is in your parenting, look around and look at the opportunities. Take the scripture and say, how am I showing them diligence? How am I encouraging them? How am I showing them moral excellence? How am I being an example? How am I showing them, teaching them knowledge? How am I exciting them about that knowledge? What about self-control? How am I showing them how to practice it? What about perseverance? How am I reinforcing these things? What about godliness? How am I teaching and reteaching them? It goes further. In your godliness, what does the scripture say comes next? Brotherly kindness. Let's teach our children the power of mutual respect, manners, and giving others honor. Romans 12.10 Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. You know, Rick, when we teach our children to share, take turns, and be respectful, this is teaching kindness. It is, and some kids have a much harder time learning that than other kids. But it's a valuable lesson for everyone, and if we really work at teaching it, that brotherly kindness, you know, we want to teach that brotherly kindness. And with brotherly kindness comes praise. Praise your children for their kindness. Praise them for their gentleness. Praise them for their patience towards their peers and towards others because it feels good to be good. And that's really what we're trying to do here with brotherly kindness. Then, of course, there's one more, one more step in your brotherly kindness. The scripture brings us to love. Let's teach our children the profound value of selfless love. 1 Peter 4, 8. Above all, keep fervent in your love for one another because love covers a multitude of sins. So what we want to do by teaching love is we want to celebrate selfless thoughts and actions from our children. What we want to do is we want to celebrate that by when they do something selflessly. You look at them and say, you know what? That's what Jesus would do. You acted just like Jesus. That celebration helps them understand this is a good thing, and then you feel good about being selfless. And Rick, one of the greatest feelings I had when I was a kid was helping others. So let's teach this gift of helping others to our children. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift. So there, there's a lot of practicality here. The key thing to remember in all of this is Jesus loved and appreciated children. We're going to quote just one verse on that to give us that touchstone, Mark 10, verses 13 to 16. And they were bringing to him children so that he might touch them, but the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw this, he was indignant and said to them, permit the children to come to me. Do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. And you know, it's interesting. He wanted to touch them and to, to hold them close to him, to love them. That's the example that we have, and, and, and just his, the, love, the love of God would have poured out of Jesus as God's Son to, to show these children how special they are. How special do we make our children? So, Jonathan, our first practical biblical principle for parenting, what have we got? We need to provide our young children with strong modeling and overwhelmingly support to enable them to begin to learn to love God. Remember, children follow what we do more than what we say. Show your love for God daily and teach them to do the same. Children do what you do far more than they hear what you say. Show them and they can learn. So, look, let's let the joy of teaching our children who God is and how much he loves us be a tool of inspiration to just keep going. Are there secrets to maintaining a God-honoring relationship with our kids as they grow and change? 
For most of us, the beginning stages of parenting can plainly just be overwhelming. As we finally figure it out, our kids grow, change, and become more independent. Just when we thought we had it, we have to adjust. Because all children are so different, our adjustments need to be focused on filling their needs with biblical principles. Nothing new, just a new way to observe and apply. Okay, Rick, let's go on to question two. How do we keep open and honest relationships with our children as they become young adults and beyond? So now we're going from where we began to that that desire of every parent to be able to have the back and forth communication and relationship. Well, in our last episode, we talked a lot about going from parental control, remember when children are infants, to mutual competence when they are, we're teaching them personal responsibility. This is a primary foundation for maintaining an honest and open relationship with our children. Recognizing their budding competence means we listen to them, we acknowledge what they say, and we act on it. And Jonathan, just a quick example, um, and I, I, I think you'll remember this, uh, Many years ago, I was the director of a, of a, of a Bible youth camp. And uh, with this one particular year, the teenagers were really all about themselves. And we wanted to find a way to bring these kids sort of into the fold and, and be part of the, the, the larger group. We had a problem with tents and bugs and something we needed to do with that. Do you remember that? I do. I do. And, and, and uh, yeah, they were complaining. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they were complaining. And it was a problem. So we had a staff meeting and thought, okay, this needs to be fixed. Well, one of the things I noticed is the kids were talking about it and they had some really good ideas. So I, I, I set this up, you know, honestly, I set this, I told the staff, I said, okay, here's what we're going to do to fix the problem. But what we're going to do is we're going to have the kids give us the idea and they're going to help us fix the problem. And they're like, what? I said, just, just watch. So we got together. I announced the problem. I said, okay, guys, we need your help. What do you think? What do you think should be done? And some hands went up and they had good answers and just provoked the good answers. And then they're getting excited. And it's like, guys, you're, you're brilliant. You, you got, now, they did have the answers. All we That's did right. was just, sure. just, just recognize them. And so the next thing I said, and I'll never forget this. This was a riot. I said, okay, guys, great ideas. Can you do it for us? And they're like, yes. <laughs> and so <laughs> we had this massive changing headed up by the teenagers, and it changed their attitude. It changed their attitude. We, we built a relationship by listening and working along with them. And so, you know, this is what we're talking about. Listen, acknowledge, and then act on it. So let's go through these things. What about listening? Well, how do we hone our ability to listen to our children? The first thing we do to hone our ability to listen is we ourselves listen for guidance from above. James 1, 19 to 22. This you know, my beloved brethren. But everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, in humility, receive the word implanted, which was able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So there's two things to the scripture. Quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And then, you don't stop at just hearing— Prove yourselves doers of what you heard. We want to take this principle and apply it to listening to our children. Open and honest parent-child relationships grow in the fertile ground of parental humility before God. 
even if our thoughts, or I'm sorry, even if their thoughts and expressions are emotional or flighty or morally shaky or angry or selfish, listen and affirm where they are. Well, think about us going to God in prayer. We sometimes are emotional or flighty (laughs) or morally unstable or angry or selfish, and yet we have faith that he hears us and he'll help us. And that's the point. If we have faith that he hears us and he'll help us, we want our children to have faith in us the way that we have faith in him. So we've got to do the listening so that they can communicate. That's how you build a relationship. The next thing, once you listen, listening is great. It's a wonderful start, but it's not the end of, 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 the, of the process. The next step is to acknowledge, acknowledge what you've heard. Our acknowledgement of our children's questions and expressions does not mean we agree if something is off. It does mean we pay attention close attention so we can understand them so they can know we're trying to understand them. Jonathan, that's the key. They need to know we're in it. We're trying to understand them. Our responses to their questions and expressions need very clear framing. The principles of this next scripture that we're going to look at are going to help with that the, the, the framing of all of this. Well, we have three points we want to talk about. First, there's input from our children about something important. So we need to acknowledge that input. Deuteronomy 6, 20 through 25, the New International Version. Let's start with verse 20. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of stipulations, decrees, and laws the Lord our God has commanded you? So that's a simple thing. And really what this is saying is there comes a time when your children ask you, mom, dad, why are you different than all the other parents? How come you do these things, you know, Christian things and others don't? And, and so we want to be able to take that kind of question or whatever the question is and wholly listen to it and then move on. So, so there's input that's going to be presented. So, Jonathan, what's the next step? Focus on an honest answer as completely stated as is appro- appropriate for the circumstance. Verse 21 through 23. Tell him. We are slaves of Pharaoh of Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Before our eyes, the Lord sent signs and wonders, great and terrible, on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and gave us the land he promised on an oath to our ancestors. So the answer wasn't just, we do these things because God God told us to, son. Remember that. Now obey. It was, let me tell you about our heritage. Let me tell you about what went before. Let me tell you about the, the, the hardships and problems. Tell them about your journey in Christianity. Tell them about these kinds of things. And whatever the question is, don't just give that short little answer. If it's appropriate, give them a detailed background of why you stand where you stand. This helps them realize that they're important to you. What's the third step? Continue to acknowledge their input by carefully concluding your perspective. Now let's read Deuteronomy 6, 24 and 25. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our God, so that we might also prosper and be kept alive, as is the case today. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God, as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. So what is happening in these Deuteronomy scriptures is taking history and bringing it right up to today to make it relevant. And so when your children bring you their expressions or their disagreements or all of those things, listen, 
Give a good answer and then make it as relevant as you can. They may not like it, but that's okay. What you're doing is you're spending time. You're not being short with them. You're giving them as much as you think they, they can use in an appropriate and respectful way. Now look, sometimes this process can be uncomfortable because of subject matter and context, especially in our world because everything gets talked about. It's important to share with appropriateness what you know, and it's also important, folks, as parents to acknowledge what you don't know with a willingness to try and find it out. Jonathan, just another quick example. I know a mom um, dealing with some difficult and sensitive issues with her adolescent son, and uh, he was asking some really hard and for many of us, very embarrassing questions. And his, they, he, he's having issues and challenges, and you know, they're sitting with a, with a counselor. And his mom, without, without missing a beat, delved into those really hard subjects and just gave honest clear, clarity and direction and opinion and perspective, and it built trust in that adolescent boy because, wow, my mom can answer these things. And, and, and the, the counselor was like, Wow, mom, you did awesome. And, you know, we want to be able to address that. It's hard. Nobody's going to saying it's easy. But by supplying what your children intellectually need, it helps to build that relationship because you become trustworthy. So we've talked about listening. We've talked about acknowledgement. Now let's talk about acting. Acting. What do we, how do we act on these things? Heartfelt and honest conversation and understanding is one thing. When we act on this, it shows our children that their perspective and input are vital to us. Action shows respect, and respect shows that we as parents value their growing competence. How do we act? Well, we're going to act based on godly principles. Romans 12, 9 through 16. You know, let's take it in pieces. Verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. So think about this. When you're communicating with your children and you're building that relationship, you want to let your love for them be unhypocritical. You want to abhor things that are dark in their lives, but you also want to cling to what is good. That's our parental responsibility, and this is how we show them our relationship. It's one thing to talk a relationship. It's another thing to live a relationship. What's next? Next, act with deep devotion to your family. This means controlling our anger and reactions. Verses 10 and 11. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. If your children see you acting with devotion to them and to your family, honest to goodness, Christian devotion and love and and kindness— it makes an impression. They may not tell you it's making an impression, but it will make a positive impression on them, that deep devotion. What's next? Act knowing that life is hard, but can be handled when we keep our Christian perspective in order. Continuing in Romans 12, verses 12 through 15, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you, Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. So your actions need to reflect. And I just want to repeat some of the words in these verses to make the point. These are the things that your actions repeat. Rejoicing, persevering, 
devotion, contribution, practicing hospitality, blessing those who persecute, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. This is what our life looks like, and when our life looks like this and we show it to our children, that's how you build a relationship. What's next? And lastly, act with firm and clear consistency. Our children respond when they know they can count on us to be a righteous support for them in their hardest times. Verse 16, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. So act with this firm and clear consistency. Be of the same mind. If they know what to expect from you, and what they can expect is Christian humility and wisdom as best as you can muster. Look, and we're not all perfect in this, we know. But that gives them confidence, and confidence builds a relationship. This is, these are the aspects of building that relationship as they grow that we start off small, and we build, and we share more as they get older and their understanding increases. So once again, listen to our children. Acknowledge what they say and feel, and act on it, and that is what it means to be a mature parent. One more scripture on this, Ephesians 4, 14 to 15. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness in deceitful scheming, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. You know, if a child feels important to their parent, Rick, they'll trust them. But if they don't feel important, they won't trust them. You know, and that's why I love the scripture, because it says we are to grow up in all aspects of, you know, into him who is the head, even Christ. We need to grow up into mature parenting, and we can. And w- wherever we are, we can start right here and right now. But you're right, that trust thing is such a vital, basic principle to have a lifelong fruitful relationship. Practicing biblical principles for parenting, what do we have? Oftentimes, it is our own growth that has the greatest influence on our children as they grow. Regardless of how much we think we have or have not grown as parents, we can always begin to listen, acknowledge, and act on what our children say and need. Their challenges are important. Let's make sure they know that we know that. But wait, Rick, what if we as parents have never done these things. Is it too late? <laughs> That's a great, great question because you're listening to this saying, yeah, okay, miss the boat. Okay, miss the boat. Okay, miss the boat. Look, if you're starting late, if you're looking at this saying, wow, these are things I haven't done, here's, th- th- think about it this way. Sit down with your child and say to your child, you know what? I've been thinking about my parenting and I realized that I haven't done some things as well as I should have. And one of them is I really haven't listened to you the way I, I should have been listening. So I'm, I'm telling you, tell your child, I need to work on that. I want to change. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to really work at putting things in order with you. And I'm going to need your help so that I can make sure I really hear you. So how, how can I help you and how can you help me? Be honest, be humble, let them know because we're all not there and it's okay. But you just start where you are with this goodness that the scriptures are bringing us. It really is that simple. It's this simple, but it's not easy. How about that, okay? So building a solid and meaningful relationship with our children is work. Let's be glad we have biblical principles to follow. 
How do we maintain our positive parent-child relationships when life brings us unexpected trauma? It can be just plain scary to think about the traumatic what-ifs that can come upon our children. As we discussed in our last episode, let's leave the what-ifs alone and focus on the what-now. Let's rest in the fact that as Christians, we are assured that our experiences are able to be handled with God's guidance and God's strength. So, having said that, Jonathan, what's next? Let's go to question three. Bad things do happen to good people. How do we as parents handle it when something bad happens to our children? Nobody likes this question. And so we need to be focusing in on preparation and awareness for when bad things may happen. Maybe they won't, but maybe they will. So first, let's understand we live in times of enormous distress. And Jonathan, we're going back to your one of your least favorite scriptures to read uh, in our podcast, but one of the most necessary scriptures to read, and that is 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 4. Thanks a lot, brother. Yeah, anytime, you know, I'm here to help. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come, for men will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So... We read this text to remind us this is the environment in which we live. And a lot of it is very ungood when you look at the environment that your children are exposed to. So what are we supposed to do? Things are going to happen when these kinds of things run rampant in our, in our environment. So when uninvited bad things happen to our children, first and foremost, they need to be protected and cared for. Even if their trauma is a consequence of their own wrongdoing, even if, if something is their fault, remember, the time to teach lessons will come. But when you get wind of that, that wrongdoing right now, it's not time to get, you know, point the finger and teach a lesson. It's time to cradle. It's time to nurture and reassure. Right now, it's time to show them that you will be present with and strong for them. And Rick, the same principles apply when something happens to our children as well as something our child has done, right? Yeah, yeah, and that's a really important point. So the things that we're going to be talking about can apply either way. Something from the outside happens they didn't deserve. We still need to not jump on the lesson, jump onto the cradling and nurturing and reassurance. If they do something really bad, don't jump on the lesson nurture them and reassure them you're there for them to show them how to deal with it appropriately. So there are several things we need to put in place here if something bad happens to our children. First is we need to protect. As we shield our children in hard times, we need to also show them the way through those hard times. Hebrews 12, 12 through 15. Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men, and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble, and by it may be defiled. So in this Hebrew Scriptures, you know, it's a very mature Scripture talking about difficulties in life. Strengthen when they're weak. 
make straight paths, and I'm talking about this in relation to parenting, for their feet when they, something bad has happened. Pursue peace with all men. Rise above the fray. It's so important to not be in it, but to be above it so your child can have something stable to hold on to. And we don't want them to fall into bitterness. You know, Jonathan, in parenting, a quick example um, of when my daughter, you know, had something, you know, the, the, the assault. She was assaulted. She's only 15, and it was traumatic. And uh, I wanted to listen. I wanted to be able to sit and listen to her and, and hear what was on her heart, but she wouldn't talk. She just, she just wouldn't talk. And this went on for weeks and weeks and weeks. So I was fortunate in that I, had a, 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 I ran my own business, and I was able to change my schedule. So I would pick her up after school. You know, she's a, she's a freshman or sophomore in high, in high school, and I'd bring her home, and she'd just be quiet. And I would sit at home with her until Trish got home, and we'd watch a stupid soap opera, okay? And she wouldn't say a word. And we would sit there quietly for weeks on end without her saying a word. And I was thinking that me, I'm, I'm ready to listen, but she's not ready to talk. And so... When I'm, when we're in that position, I'm, I'm thinking, I just want her to know that I won't leave her. I'm going to be here. And when she decides she's ready to say a word, I want to be there to hear it. And Jonathan, it was one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it was one of the most blessed things because when she started to, 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 to speak up, it was some snide remark about the soap opera. It's like, ah, we've got something to communicate on. And it built and it built and it built. The next thing after or alongside. All, these are not necessarily in order, okay? You got to do all these things all at the same time. We have protection. The next thing is to pray. Managing the traumas in our children's lives. Pray for guidance with clarity and emotion. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 in the Weymouth translation. For we have not a high priest who was unable to feel for us in our weaknesses, but one who was, was tempted in every respect, just as we are tempted and yet did not sin. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our times of need. Jonathan, this is such a powerful text. We need to go to the throne of grace, and it says to go boldly. Why? Because Jesus knows what we feel. So we can go through Jesus to our Heavenly Father and pour out our heart, pour out our anger, our frustration, and He can give us grace if we lift ourselves up to Him in that trust. We need to be prayerful when bad things happen to our children. And I know you all know this, but let's make sure those prayers are genuine and deep and emotional so we present ourselves fully to God in faith. Protect, pray, and now we need to position. We need to position ourselves for the long road ahead. Our children depend on it. Isaiah 50, 6 and 7. I give my back to those who strike me, and my cheeks to those who pluck out the beard. I did not cover my face for humiliation and spitting. For the Lord God helps me, therefore I am not disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I will not be ashamed. Now this is prophetically talking about Jesus. And it's talking, this is, this is the last part of this was our theme scripture for this, for this podcast. And he's talking about not hiding his face from humiliation and spitting. And he, he, he put his face there to the people who pull out the bread. I mean, he subjected himself to torture. And this is what it says about Jesus. It says, I have set my face like a flint and I know I will not be ashamed. 
Now, everything they did was to shame him. And yet he said, I will not be ashamed. What did Jesus have? He had stone-cold focus. He knew that he was doing the will of God, and it didn't matter. Nothing else mattered. If Jesus had that stone-cold focus and such trauma and difficulty and pain and suffering, we need to have that same focus when something happens to our children. That stone-cold focus that says, I am standing for my child. It may take everything I have and then some, but I will not be moved. You know, in my own experiences, Jonathan, I would say that, and you make that great speech to yourself and you get all inspired, then an hour later you have to make the speech again because you lost it. So we don't do it like Jesus. He said it and kept it, but we need to just rise up again and again. Position ourselves for the long road because it's hard when something bad happens to our children. So we've got protect, pray, position. Next is pursue. We need to pursue the help our children need to be able to understand, cope, and overcome. Luke 5.31 And Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. Get the right help for your kids after a difficult experience, even if it means professional help. There's no sin in that. There isn't. Help them work through that trauma. There is no sin in that. There is, just isn't. It, it's such a powerful thing to get the right kind of help. And, and folks, we've, we, I've mentioned many times in the past the example of my, my daughter when she was uh, sexually assaulted when she was only 15 years old. And we sought help. And the thing is, we, we, we went for professional help. But the counselor we had was, was, a, was a wonderful woman, but we weren't getting anywhere. And, 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 and Trish and I would look at each other and we'd say, you know what, this is nice, but it's not effective. And we had to make a decision to go to a different counselor. And we knew somebody else, they were out of our, our insurance network and it cost us a lot more money, but we made the decision, let's go with this person who we know, we'll figure out how to pay for it later because we didn't have a lot at that point in time. We didn't have a lot. And so you went and we changed and it helped to save our daughter's life. Get the help you need. When bad things happen, we need support. The, the emotional support, psychological support, medical support, physical support, family support, all of those things are so helpful. Pursue support. Don't be shy because bad things are bigger than we are. Let's move forward with those things. Once we are in that mode of pursuing and, and we're, we're on the road, the, the final thing that we want to put in place when bad things happen to our children is perseverance. We need to persevere to stay the course so our suffering children have their best opportunity for renewal in their lives. Psalm 34, 15, and 18. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. It's easy to start. And it's incredibly difficult to finish. That's where perseverance comes in. And that's where scriptures like the one you just read, Jonathan, are so important. Because if you're a Christian, you look at this verse, this verse 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. That's me in this circumstance with my child. And saves those who are crushed in spirit. That's me. I don't know what to do, Lord. I don't know what to do. But if I bring it to him, I can have faith that I will find the guidance. It may not come immediately. I may need to get help to find the guidance. I may, may need to rely on somebody spiritually sound and, and stronger than I. Whatever it is, find the guidance so he can bring 
that help to that broken heart and to when, when we're crushed in spirit. What one more one more psalm to, to help us put this in order. Psalm thirty two verse eight. I will instruct you and teach you in the way which you shall go. I will counsel you with mine eye upon you. Now think about this. The first psalm was the Lord's near to the brokenhearted, saves those who are crushed in spirit. And we go to the Psalm 32, and I'll instruct you and teach you in the way that you shall go. You put these promises together and say, Lord, you promised these to me. Show me how to find them. Show me how to see your eye upon me and you're guiding me because my child is suffering and I need to be able to rise up. I need to be able to protect, to pray, to position, to pursue, and to persevere so that I can be a blessing, a present blessing to them when they feel abandoned by the world. Folks, bad things happen, and and kids, they go into a shell. You want to have it so that if they go there, they know that you're with them. That's hard. It takes effort, but it's so worth it. Practical biblical principles for parenting, Jonathan, uh, in terms of bad things happening, what do we have? Any trauma that comes upon our children brings a special brand of tragedy with it. In such circumstances, it is we as parents who, to the best of our ability, need to answer the call for strength and guidance. If we as parents are too wounded and don't know what to do or how to do it, let us not hesitate to call on those of faith and fortitude around us and rely on them for the sake of our children. And Jonathan, I have seen that happen countless times. Someone is feeling buried and they reach out and they find somebody who can walk with them and then they walk together in faith and in fellowship and build one another up and work at keeping that child in order, being able to save their lives because we're present with a godly presence with those children. So look, even though the traumas in our children's lives are devastating, we have great hope in biblical how-to coping lessons. How do we handle it when our children walk away from us in anger and bitterness? Is there any hope? That's another tough one. As we have seen, managing through trauma is a big and life-altering experience. Facing a deep and harsh rebellion from our child is as well. This is another area of life that will draw upon our spiritual reserves, try our patience, and even drain our fortitude. Preparation for and coping with rebelliousness has several very unique aspects, and we want to take a look at those in just a moment here. And Rick, this brings us to question four, our final question. Contradiction, strife, and even rebellion are potentially a part of a Christian's parenting experience. How do we handle this? With great care. (laughs) As with trauma, there is no specific recipe for rebellion. Some of us are naturally wired to test the limits, and you get rebellion. Some of us are wired to seek adventure, and you end up with rebellion. Some have experiences that make them angry or anxious or vengeful, and they act out, and you end up with rebellion. While it would be helpful to know what drives this child or that child into this rebellion or that rebellion, we may not always have that advantage. All right, so maybe you don't know how they got there. So we still need to have a a sense of what do we do when they are there. And the first thing, and there's a lot of similarities and some differences between our last segment about bad things happening, the first aspect of dealing with rebellious kids, young adults, adolescents, is to communicate. Speak in a way that they can hear. And you know, to speak in a way that they can hear is not always the same. 
depending on the child, depending on the circumstance. Sometimes, sometimes our children simply need us to reason with them. Let's go to Isaiah 1, 18. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. So come, let us reason together. God calling Israel to reason with him. We should call our children to reason with us. And sometimes that reasoning and that kindness and that direction, just sitting across and on somewhat of an equal basis is what they need. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes they, they might need direct confrontation. And that's 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 16. I do not write these things to shame you, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For if you were to have countless tutors in Christ, yet you would not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I exhort you, be imitators of me. And that's a beautiful thing. He says, I'm not writing to shame you, but to admonish you. They, so what he's saying is, I know you might feel embarrassed. This is not what I'm, I'm trying to do here. I'm trying to build you up. So the apostle didn't hesitate to confront them about the wrongs they were doing. As parents, there are times when it's absolutely appropriate, especially with a rebellious child, to confront them. Now, it's not always the time to do that, but we want to do, use our best wisdom to understand when it is and then confront them the way the Apostle Paul did, for the purpose of building them up. If we confront them for the purpose of venting our anger, eh, wrong answer. You don't go there. But the Apostle shows us how. Sometimes reasoning works, sometimes direct confrontation works, and sometimes a more indirect way may work. Sometimes they might need a third person, a third party example to show them where the difficulties are. And this is shown to us in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verse 1. This is after King David's great sin with Bathsheba. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and said, There were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. And of course, Jonathan, you know the story. He talks about the poor man with the one little lamb, and the rich man takes that one little lamb, and David gets all bent out of shape about it. And, he, and you know, Nathan says, what should be done? He, oh, that man should pay. He should pay fourfold, and on and on. And then Nathan's very famous proclamation. Remember what it was? You are that man. Exactly. Sometimes our rebellious child might need to see an example and somebody else, some other circumstance, and see how they are actually following it, fitting into it, being it. That can be helpful as well. It's a scriptural principle. So the idea of communicating is in a way that they can hear it. And we need to use our highest discretion to say, do they need reasoning? Do they need confrontation? Do they need a third-party example? What do they need? And communicate in a way that they can hear. And let me just add again, for the sake of making it plain, anger is never the way to get to a child. It just doesn't work. Rebellious or not, being angry is just going to make them put up the wall. We want to communicate and then lead. We need to keep that in order. So communicate is really important with a rebellious child. The next point is to listen. Listen in a way that opens a pathway of potential understanding. Be approachable. Hebrews 4.16, the Weymouth translation. Therefore, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us 
in our times of need. Now, we just quoted that verse in the last segment. Why are we repeating it? Because now we want to apply it to us as the parents. Okay, we were talking about praying to God, our parents. Now let's apply it to us. If we can go to our Heavenly Father with all of our frustration, all of our anger, all of our anxiety, we should position ourselves for our frustrated and angry and anxious children to be able to come to us in the same way. We want them to be able to trust that when they pour out whatever frustration or wrong or anger or whatever it is, that we will be able to listen. We don't need to agree, but we'll be able to listen so we can guide them. And, you know, it really comes down to understanding that our, our lives, our job is to always be able to listen. Again, uh, my, my son, when he was a teenager, had a lot of hard times with a lot of things. And it, he needed to be understood. He needed to be understood. And it was hard because sometimes, if you can relate, as teenagers, they're speaking a different language than you. <laughs> yes, <Okay>. often. <laughs> well, and there were times where he would be so frustrated. I mean, just, just deeply, profoundly frustrated and angry. And I'd sit down at the table and say, okay, let's go through this. Let, help me understand. Explain it. And he'd explain it to me. And, he's, and, and I'd repeat it back. So are you saying that? The, and he'd say, no. That's not it at all. I said, okay, listen, I'm sorry. I let, Try again, please. I'm really trying to understand. And he'd explain it again. And I'd say, okay, I think you're saying, and I'd repeat it. He'd say, no, that's not what I, and you know, this would go on sometimes for hours. Wow. But I'm sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, this young man needs me to be with him. I may not agree, but I need to understand. And I would not leave that table until I could hear his heart and see it and repeat it back. And it helped so much. It was hard. But this was part of the protective process to, to say, okay, I get it. I'm with you in this. The next thing after or alongside, all, these are not necessarily in order, okay? You got to do all these things all at the same time. So we communicate, we listen, and then we've got to do the work of whatever it is to deal with our rebellious child. So, Jonathan, let's talk about work. Be focused on constructive discipline. Constructive discipline. Natural consequences are very, very powerful teachers. Very powerful. And again, this is a scriptural example. We're going to just read the first couple of scriptures from the beginning of the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, verses 11 and 12. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. So you have this parable where the younger son, in a very immature way, is demanding his share, and the father knows he's going to mess up. He knows it, and he gives it to him because he's going to allow the natural consequences of his foolishness and immaturity to unfold. Sometimes you do the work, and, and that means letting your children, and again, not always, you got to be careful, letting your children suffer the natural consequences of those ex experiences, but you need to be there for the fall, okay? Do the work on, con on constructive discipline. And again, anger doesn't do it. Loving discipline does, and we talked about that in our last episode. So we've got communicate, listen, work, we also need to be able to warn. 
Give clear warning regarding continued traveling on a path of destruction. Deuteronomy 30, 17, 18, and 20. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You will no longer you will not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter the possession of the land by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and to give them. And Rick, our loving response uh, for our children should be, my child, if you turn away from righteous living, it will be destructive. But I'm here for you always. And that's really what was being said in Deuteronomy to a nation. So we take the principle of what was said to the nation and apply it to that child in their rebelliousness, in their, in their go, wanting to go their own path and say, these are the consequences of such things. But I'm going to be here for you. God was always there waiting for Israel to repent after they went off the deep end. He was always waiting for them. And that brings us to the next point, and that is to wait. After we warn, we wait. Rebellion usually takes a long time to pass through someone's life if it passes at all. Stand firm in principle as you go through this seemingly endless time. Now, going back to the prodigal son, the younger son wasted the money and became destitute. And now he is coming back to the father to admit he was wrong. It's been a long journey. Luke 15, 20 through 24. So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said, Let us eat and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. So it's interesting that the son wreaked such havoc with the, with the father and the family. But when the son comes home, the father is waiting, and he embraces him, and the son says the things he's supposed to say. He needs to say, I've sinned. I don't, I'm, I don't deserve to be called your son. And the bottom line is the father says, look, you were dead, and now you're alive. I'm embracing you. Let's celebrate. You know that afterwards you had to deal with the consequences. But the first moment was to embrace your child. So with rebelliousness, we need to wait for those opportunities where we can, again, embrace our child because they've strayed. Always be willing and ready to embrace. Consequences and dealing with all things will come, but they need to know they're loved. So once we do the waiting, we go on to the last point, and that is to renew. We need to constantly renew our faith in God's providence and power in our lives. Romans 8, 26 through 28. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weaknesses, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit itself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words, and he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because it intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So this renewal is a personal thing. This is a long, difficult thing. Rebellion isn't an, an overnight thing. Your kid doesn't get rebellious for a weekend and then get over it. It takes a long time. We need to continually renew ourselves knowing 
that all things work together for good if we are walking in the footsteps of Jesus. I was thinking of the concept in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, and it reminds us that if anyone is caught in a trespass, we are to help restore them in a gentle way. But we need to be careful that we don't become entrapped in the sin we're trying to help them out of. If we have that concern, try someone trustworthy to help handle that situation. The same goes for our helping our kids. Remember, it takes a village to raise a child. It takes a lot of effort from a lot of different individuals, but we need to engage whomever we need to around us to help us because it is difficult, especially in the world in which we live. Jonathan, our final practical biblical principle for parenting. Our children need us. They need our stability, our maturity, our spirituality, and our life experiences. We are vital to their growth, even if we have compromised some choices or made mistakes or even let them down. Whatever your circumstance, begin your best biblically-based parenting today. Get focused, get help, and get busy. Well, Rick, these scriptural concepts show me that I still have work to do, even with an adult child. Yeah, you know what? We all do, and it's okay. It's okay. It's okay because the bottom line is there is no guidebook for parenting. However, the scriptures teach uh, that the scriptures that we've used show us principles And in these principles for godliness that we've been looking at, we want to just simply apply them to our parenting. Think about this. Our Heavenly Father wants the best for His spiritual children. Let's learn from His example what He wants for us. Why wouldn't we give the best instruction possible to bless our children like He blesses us? Think about it. Folks, look, we love hearing from our listeners. We welcome your feedback and questions on this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Coming up in our next episode, is it a sin if I dot, dot, dot? A lot of questions we're going to be going over next week. Is it a sin if I? Talk to you then. 